Welcome to you wherever you're at, whomever you're with. I'm so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments. This weekend, we are in a series called Courageous, and uh, we're really looking at that biblical quality that allows us to take hold of the things that God so freely wants to give us. In fact, uh, we're looking at the prologue uh, to an Old Testament book called the Book of Joshua, and it's all about uh, taking hold of our promised land. And uh, one of the uh, exhortations that rings true uh, to Joshua right off the bat and that uh, I'm trying to proclaim to us is this invitation, this command from God uh, to be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid, do not let fear determine your experience of God, do not become discouraged. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Uh, you know that word courage in the Bible as we've uh, looked at again and again uh, literally means uh, to become strong, to be alert, brave, stout, bold, and solid, uh, to secure, take hold for oneself, to make firm, uh, to persist in, to prove yourself superior to, and to be determined. You know that sounds a lot like grit to me. And uh, really, uh, God is highlighting for us this quality of courage is a prerequisite to taking hold of the good things that he has for us. I hear that again. It's uh, pretty important. This quality of courage, of becoming stout and bold and determined, persisting in, is prerequisite to taking hold of the good things that God freely wants to give us. Uh, you know, another nuance of the word courageous is the ability to control fear and to be willing uh, to deal with some things that are dangerous, difficult, or unpleasant. You might say, you know, that sounds like uh, most of my life. <laughs> the truth is, that does comprise a lot of the uh, arenas that we do life in. And uh, becoming courageous is the ability to not be uh, pushed aside or downtrodden by those, to not be deterred by danger or pain. Well, uh, some of the things that uh, become clear in the opening words, uh, Joshua chapter 1, I encourage you to read it on your own, is that there are indeed many good things that God wants to give you. You could call this your promised land. Uh, God has a full, a good, perfect, and pleasing will uh, for your life. And in the series, uh, we're, we're applying that uh, to our marriages, and our families, our parenting efforts. There are many good things that God wants to pour into the relationships uh, under your roof. And uh, here's the second thing that comes out in the prologue uh, to Joshua is uh, we're told uh, we take hold of the good things God wants to give us one step at a time. Uh, he said to Joshua, every place on which your foot shall tread, I'm giving it to you. And there's this uh, reality that the fullness of God doesn't come into our relationships, you know, in a shipping container dropped off in our driveway. We step into those uh, one conversation at a time, one interaction at a time, one day at a time, one year at a time. But every place we, we step into, God has promised to give it to us. And then uh, this third truth that we've highlighted, uh, no one can take hold of the good things God has for you but you, he, he said to Joshua, Moses is dead. <laughs> this is on you. And uh, the, really the, the truth that would come to each of us, if I don't choose 
to take hold of the fullness God has for my marriage and my home, uh, no one will. It's, it's on us to, to become bold and very courageous. Well, uh, today we're going to turn our attention to our parenting efforts, uh, to how uh, God has good things in store as we raise our children. Uh, he wants to pour uh, our promised blessings into those, uh, those parenting relationships. And uh, I would get us into the subject by asking you this question. Uh, if you're a parent, what are some things that you want for your children? You know, do you want them to be rich and successful? You want them to win the Super Bowl? Maybe uh, play Major League Soccer? Whatever your aspirations are for your children. You know, as uh, researchers kind of dig into this, as they work with couples and families, uh, here are some of the things that emerge that most families want for their kids. And you'll see I put in there, I believe God wants these things for our children. Uh, we want our children to be creative. We want them to use their gifts and their abilities. We want them to be able to think uh, for themselves, to have a sense of independence and prerogative about their choices. Uh, we want our children to care about other human beings. We want them to be compassionate. We want them to live lives that have meaning and purpose. Uh, most of us want our children to be moral people. We want them to be good neighbors. We want to see them fulfill their potential, uh, their own unique talents and abilities. We want our kids to feel good about themselves and their efforts, but to not be prideful. Uh, we want them to live with passion, uh, interests, uh, self-esteem, uh, to uh, be able to achieve things and feel capable. And I, I know that these things ring true as I think about my own uh, parenting. Uh, you know, but if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, here in the church, we've kind of defined some of the things we believe God wants for his followers, for the disciples of Jesus. We kind of break them out into these four headings. We want people to know God, to experience his goodness and the love that he has for them. We want people to find freedom. The Bible says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, that we can be free from shame and judgment and condemnation and fear and live lives that are actualized uh, by his spirit, uh, which leads to the third category. We want to see people discover their purpose in life, you know, and realizing that they have a contribution to make. They can indeed make a difference. And I happen to believe these four categories uh, kind of define the promised land, the life of abundance that Jesus said he came to bring us. Uh, you know, uh, I want to offer to you, though, maybe a standard for parenting that you haven't thought of much, and it would be what God desired for his son when Jesus came uh, as a child. He grew up, and we're given this insight. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it describes what Father God wanted for his kid, for his son. We're told that Jesus grew in these four ways. He grew in wisdom and in stature, he grew in favor with God, and he grew in favor with man. I want to kind of break, him, uh, break those out for you a little bit and uh, give some dimension to them. Uh, first of all, Jesus grew in wisdom. You know, uh, Jesus didn't come uh, as an adult in his thinking. Uh, he, he had to learn how life works. He had to learn, you know, what you do and what you don't do, the consequences of uh, 
a harsh word, and uh, all of the things that are kind of encapsulated in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, this uh, passage from the book of Proverbs declares the benefits and the blessings of a life of wisdom, where we begin to see how life works from God's perspective. We're told in Proverbs chapter 4, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. In other words, value learning how life works from God's perspective. Though it costs you everything that you have, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace wisdom, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. You know, I don't have too many people in my life who want to do that for me. Uh, but the Bible is declaring that if we'll get wisdom, if we'll pursue it, if we'll seek understanding how life works from God's perspective, it'll lift us up. It'll enrich our lives. It'll make us prosperous in every way. Well, Jesus grew in wisdom. And so he applied himself uh, to learning uh, what pleases God and uh, how to live in alignment with God's truth. And uh, as parents, it probably be good to ask this question, uh, how do we help our children grow in wisdom? And my a simple answer to that would be, uh, don't live like a fool. <laughs> don't choose uh, to live according to your appetites and your desires and your urges and, you know, the kind of what comes through the heat of the moment. Uh, that would be the opposite of living a life of wisdom. And the best thing we can do for our children is to model a life of humility where we're open to learning how to live according to God's truth. Well, Jesus not only grew in wisdom, we're told that Jesus grew in stature. He grew physically. You know, this is declaring that Jesus didn't just get bigger, though we know that happened in the natural course of events. But Jesus learned uh, how to manage his body. He learned what his body was about and how to uh, steward uh, his life, his health, his physical stature. Uh, Jesus grew in stature. You know, the Bible talks about uh, offering our bodies as worship to God, as instruments of righteousness. And uh, Jesus learned that in this body he'd been given that he had an incredible capacity. He could either use it to serve himself or he could use it to serve people. And uh, we all know that he chose the latter. You know, someone once said uh, our bodies uh, have incredible potential uh, beyond what most of us have even begun uh, to realize. Uh, one guy likened it to having a Swiss knife that is filled with uh, capabilities and uh, we tend to use that Swiss knife for one thing only, the blade, the knife blade, not realizing that there are a myriad of other tools in that that can be used uh, for good purpose. And you know, that, that's a lot like uh, our bodies that have been entrusted to us, is there are so many things we can utilize our bodies for that we often never even begin to unpack those. Heard another story of a guy who... Uh, used to have a hard time holding his breath underwater. When he was put under, he could only hold it for a few seconds till he met a Navy SEAL. And he began to teach him uh, some techniques. And uh, lo and behold, uh, he 
got up to a couple of minutes, and then three minutes, and then four minutes. And what he realized is that, uh, again, our bodies have incredible potential that most of us never tap into. Well, as Jesus grew in stature, he learned that this body that had been entrusted to him could be an instrument uh, used for God's purpose. And maybe you ask the question, well, how in the world can I help my child grow in stature in the way that Jesus did? And I would just say this, uh, begin to use your body to worship God. Uh, begin to see your, uh, your life, your health, or lack thereof, as all as a vehicle by which God's good, perfect, and pleasing will can be lived out through you. And uh, as you begin to model that, our children will pick it up. Uh, thirdly, Jesus not only grew in wisdom and grew in stature, but we're told he grew in favor with God. In other words, Jesus learned what pleased God and uh, how to live in accordance with that. The Apostle Paul urges Christ followers in Ephesians chapter 5. He says it straight like this. Try to figure out, try to learn what pleases God, uh, how to uh, live a life that brings a smile to the face of God. And Jesus learned this. You know, I'm thinking of one occasion uh, where Jesus had to correct uh, some religious guys. He said, I, I, go and learn what this means, that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Uh, Jesus learned that as he went along in life. God's not so much into religious routines and rituals. He's into hearts that reflect his love and value for people. And uh, Jesus grew in favor with God. And you might ask the question, well, how do I help my children grow in favor of God? And my answer would be this, uh, flee from lifeless religion. You know, uh, kids, if anything will turn them away from faith, it's empty, hollow religious practice. And the way we influence our children uh, to want to grow a life that's in favor with God is to model uh, that, that has, uh, God has captured our hearts for living for him. And then finally, we're told uh, Jesus not only grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God, but he grew in favor with man. Uh, in other words, uh, Jesus learned how to get along with people. He wasn't an annoying, abrasive person. In fact, if you ever had a good neighbor, uh, Jesus uh, probably would be the best neighbor you could ever imagine. In fact, he wrote the book. He's the one who said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was likable. <laughs> he proved that by the not only the... Uh, uh, irreligious people that wanted to be around him, but children uh, just uh, couldn't stay away from him. Uh, so Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and in favor with man. And uh, how we model that to our children is I would say uh, this, become a servant of all. Just decide, uh, God, uh, my reason for being on this planet is to add value to others, not to judge, critique, or criticize but to be a servant of everyone. Well, um, I want to kind of transition. You know, that would be a standard that we could try to pass on and mentor in our children. And uh, I heard a little story that, uh, to me, 
underscores the immense potential that children come into this world with. And uh, this uh, story it was called Pitch Perfect People. Uh, in other words, that there seemed to be certain people who had perfect pitch. They could identify a note without a frame of reference, without a tuning fork. Uh, they just came uh, with the ability uh, to be pitch perfect in their musical uh, attunement. And uh, as pe people began to research this, why do some people have perfect pitch and others don't? What they found out is that uh, they looked at two music schools, one in Beijing, China, and the other in New York. And uh, what they found is the students in China were nine times more likely to have perfect pitch than those in New York. And you say, well, wait, what's going on there? <laughs> Are we tone deaf? Well, partly so. Uh, but as they begin to further look into this, what they found is that uh, children who grew up with perfect pitch uh, were a part of a culture that had what they called tonal language. In other words, within that language, uh, you could use the same word in five different ways. And it was all determined by what tone you used, in particular, the Vietnamese people, the Mandarin Chinese, they have very tonal languages. And not surprising, they have perfect pitch as well. Well, what's the point of all that? Uh, here's what it's saying, really. Uh, any child uh, can grow up, if they have the right influence, uh, to develop perfect pitch. And uh, with our children, uh, our children come to us with potential-filled uh, lives they're like little packages waiting to be opened up. And uh, as parents, we either release that or we snuff it out and we bury it under a mountain of parental mistakes. And uh, as we begin to close this message, uh, I want to just put a focus on what kind of parenting style either releases the potential in our children to grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with God, and favor with men, or snuffs it out and distances them from their creator. Here's what researchers who work with thousands of couples have identified in terms of parental influence. The biggest determinant, uh, the biggest factor of a child realizing their God-given potential within a home it seems to come down to this. Mom and dad remain friends and lovers through the parenting process. Hear that again, because that's counterintuitive. It's not what parenting books you read. It's not how disciplined you are as a parent and teaching regimented truth. All of those things may matter. But the truth of it, it comes down to this. According to looking at and observing thousands of homes, the children that realize their potential to the fullest come from homes where mom and dad remain friends and lovers through the parenting process. Here's another way of saying it, kind of the negative side of that. It, it, the biggest detriment uh, to a child realizing their God-given potential uh, seems to be this, when mom and dad become hostile towards one another through the parenting process. And you say, well, wait a minute, is that biblical? Well, uh, here's a couple of scriptures that I think fortify that view of parenting. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 8 uh, says this in the Amplified Version, above all else, above everything else that you do, have fervent and unfailing love 
for one another. And there it is, folks, in a nutshell. There's the environment in a home that causes humanoids to flourish is a half fervent and unfailing love for one another because love covers a multitude of errors and sins. In fact, uh, in the Amplified Version, says love overlooks unkindness and unselfishly seeks the best for others. And, uh, you know, as we uh, begin to move towards prayer, uh, I want to say this about parenting. If you are a parent, uh, we all know it's a challenging uh, it's a challenging charge to raise children, uh, to know God, to experience freedom, to discover their purpose, and to make a difference in the world. And here's the truth. Uh, when, when little ones come in uh, to a family, into a home, uh, life gets harder. In fact, uh, again, of thousands of couples that were uh, tracked uh, through years, in some cases decades, what they found is 67% of parents reported a significant drop in marital satisfaction three years after children came along. And when you begin to unpack that, you realize there's a reason for that. Children make life a lot harder. There's a lot more duties. There's a lot more tasks. There's a lot more demands on our time and our talent and our attention and our treasures. And, uh, you know, uh, we looked at these four horsemen uh, earlier on in this series. Uh, these are the things that creep in that, that not only ruin our marriage relationship, but create a home environment where it's hard for children to grow into their created potential uh, when uh, the difficulties and challenges of life give way to criticism, uh, contempt, a sense of defensiveness that we're at odds with our partner, and even stonewalling and withdrawing. Well, uh, again, as we begin to go towards prayer, uh, I would just say, uh, how about we move that cancel sign over to the criticism and the four horsemen, and uh, we highlight instead what the other 37% did. You know, 63% reported, or 67% reported that they had a drop in mar marital satisfaction when children came along. Well, the other 33%, uh, they did some things right. Rather than becoming hostile towards one another, they turned toward one another. And uh, all the positive attributes of uh, paying attention, of listening, of dialing in, uh, they managed to do those things through the challenges of raising children and the outcomes, the benefits uh, were almost incalculable. incalculable. Well, look, I want to invite you to have a prayer with me. Maybe as you hear this message, you're thinking, you know, you looked at those four horsemen. Uh, my home's filled with criticism, contempt, and defensiveness. And maybe the most important turn you could make today would be a turn to Jesus. In fact, uh, this passage in the book of Acts reminds us that if we will turn uh, towards Jesus, it says, repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. You can have a clean slate. That times of refreshing, God can renew uh, your vigor, your boldness, your strength, and your courage. Uh, he wants to be alongside you. He wants to help you take hold of every place that your foot treads, that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed even for you, uh, even Jesus. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you. 
for the great love that you have in your heart for people, and for the great promise that you give for us in our uh, key relationships. I thank you, Lord, for the vision that you have for husbands and wives as they join together. You want to fill our lives with good things. Your word says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren live together in unity, for there you've commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Uh, Lord, I want to pray uh, for any who've hit a wall in, in their marriages, hit a wall in their parenting efforts. Uh, Lord, that you would meet them in that place. Uh, if there's any, Lord, that uh, need to turn to Jesus in a fresh way, that you would give them the faith to do that right now. And Lord, uh, in these ensuing days, as we begin to look at the changing of the seasons, even the holidays that lie ahead, I pray that uh, turning toward one another would begin to have new meaning, that we really would find ourselves living out this exhortation to, above all else, be fervent in your love for one another, because love cancels out, covers over, a multitude of mistakes and errors. Lord, may that be the one thing that characterizes not only our relationship with you, but with one another, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.